Welcome to Pocket Economics, a guide to changing lives, our podcast about the ideas which are shaping the EBRD regions and beyond. I'm Jonathan Charles, and today we're discussing the economic empowerment of families and their role in driving global growth. A famous economist once said, you could write a respectable history of capitalism through the lens of family histories. So what role do families play in the modern economy? What challenges do they face? Our guest today is Ariana Bandera. She is a professor of economics at the LSE, London School of Economics, and director of development economics at the Centre for Economic Policy Research. She's also an expert on poverty reduction, inclusion and labour policies. Ariana Bandera, what, what do we mean by the economic empowerment of families? Thank you, Jonathan. That's actually a very difficult question if one thinks about it, because the term empowerment is used in so many different contexts in so many different ways. So I actually had to look it up in the dictionary today. And empowerment happens to have two meanings. The first meaning is empowerment is the power given to someone to do something. Now, if I were a legal scholar, I would think in terms of laws and the rights that people have. But I'm an economist, and if I think of power in terms of economic terms, what I think of is constraints. So giving people power means removing constraints that impede optimal choices. And in particular, when I think of families, I think of the importance of the allocation of talent. Let me give you an example. Uh, Think that uh, there is a math prodigy who's born somewhere in a poor family in Jordan, okay? Um, Her parents would probably not be able to afford a good education, so she'll end up being married at 16 if she's lucky and have the first kid at 18. Okay. Removing that constraint, which is the financial constraint that stops her parents from financing an education, will improve not only her life, that of her parents, that of her future children, but also would benefit society as her discoveries might lead to important advances in technology. So the idea of empowerment as a reduction of constraints is an idea that uh, favours, improves the allocation of talent in the economy. It's very interesting to look at it that way because, uh, you know, traditionally we look at, well, what can we do to help women in the workforce, in families, but not, not families as a whole. I think that the family is the important unit for economic analysis because choices within families are interdependent. You know, we say there is always a great woman behind every great man. Well, you can put it the other way around. There's always a great man behind every great woman. And what that means is that the choices in the families are interdependent. If my husband weren't at home taking care of the children, I couldn't be here talking to you. And vice versa, if I don't support his choices, he wouldn't be able to be traveling. He happens to be in Zurich today uh, because, you know, because of me. So I think it's kind of, uh, it's uh, misleading to look at individual choices. We have to look at choices of families and uh, through the lenses of the optimal allocation of talent. So if in a family, the wife happens to be a good engineer and the husband happens to be a good chef, maybe we want to facilitate the wife to go and study engineering and working as an engineer on our uh, trains rather than the husband. Sounds like a very good idea to me as I enjoy cooking. Now, um, what are the most urgent challenges do you think that the world development community needs to focus on in empowering families? I think there is uh, two main constraints to the allocation of talent. One is the allocation of talent of children and the other is the allocation of talent of women. And the first one cuts mostly uh, through poverty. So it is the children of the poorer families that typically face strong constraint in allocating their talent properly. 
whereas the women uh, allocation of talent actually uh, transcends social class and economic class. Okay? So women are expected to be home in most countries, even though their talent will be better employed elsewhere. And the children's opportunity to make the best of their talent depends on their parents' income. Okay? And the latter, I think, is more severe in poorer countries, whereas the former varies a lot. So the, uh, you know, the women's constraint in using their talent well, it varies mostly because of social norms that differ a lot, countries by countries, but government policies as well. In our Life in Transition report that the, uh, the EBRD did, uh, we saw that women bear a disproportionate share of the housework and care of children and relatives. And of course, that must hold back family empowerment as well, because again, it goes to the restraints that you, you refer to. Yes, absolutely. The fact, you know, somebody has to do those jobs, but the fact that it is the woman who systematically expected to do them, that's what creates the misallocation. You could have families for which it's best that the woman indeed does them because that's their preference and that's their skill. Uh, but there could be families in which it's better that the husband does them and still families in which it's better that they're contracted out to the market and both man and wife go out to work. Stopping misallocation is very difficult, though, isn't it? Actually doing something about that specific problem or any specific problem in terms of misallocation resources, it's, it's not easy. No, it's not easy at all. Uh, but at the same time, the gains, the potential gains are so enormous that it's worth trying. We always think of growth as in accumulating more things. But there is another path to growth, which is much cheaper, which is to use to the best the things that we already have. And that's what the optimal allocation of talent refers to. If we have an existing population with an existing set of skills, let's first make sure that those skills are used to the best of their potential. You mentioned social norms a minute ago and differing social norms, but uh, how do obstacles to families' economic empowerment differ across different cultures? I think, of course, social norms play a very important role and it can cut both ways. So in societies such as Italy, where I'm from, where the family is very, very united and very close, on the one hand, women are expected to do more for the family, but at the same time, the grandparents are always there. And so you have free childcare, which in a country where women are more, say, liberated and the family is more nuclear, uh, both things cut in opposite directions. So I think it varies a lot. And uh, social norms also cannot be changed by policies, but policies can remove constraints. So it can change social norms in the long run when different choices become available. We'll look at some best practices in a minute. Uh, you're listening to Pocket Economics, the EBRD podcast on how economic ideas help to change people's lives. We really want to hear what you think, of course. Uh, contact us at EBRD on Twitter and on Facebook with the hashtag Pocket Economics. Ariana, I mentioned best practices just a second ago. Are there things that we can learn from? Are there good examples out there? Well, of course, when it comes to uh, the allocation of talent of women, the Scandinavian countries come, as you might expect, top of the list. Uh, they come top of the list because they offer very good quality childcare, uh, mostly free or at very subsidized rates. And this is uh, it's got a double whammy, so to speak, because it benefits the children enormously. The returns to early childhood investments have been estimated to be way higher than investment in any other form of education. And it benefits the women who are now free to allocate their talent as they wish. Uh, having said that, one of the most surprising papers that I read in recent times is by two colleagues of mine at the LSE, uh, Camille Landet and Henry Clevin. They look at data from Denmark 
which is com- almost like a paradise country, right? There's free childcare, the state supports you as much as you can possibly wish for. And yet, there they find that as soon as women have children, their career plummets. And if they have two children, that's, it, that's the end. And the interesting thing is that uh, their career was identical to that of their husbands up until the crucial moment where they had their first child. So that tells you that government policies can only go up to a point. There are social norms which tend to counteract this. And in, um, in support of that hypothesis, they find that it is women whose mother was not working when they were little that suffer from most of this career break. Women whose mother was working managed to get along just fine. So it's an interaction between the availability of government-provided childcare and the norms of the family. Very interesting. It does show how difficult it is. Now, economic empowerment is part of the sustainable development goals. What can multilateral development banks like the EBRD really do to help to promote that? Education, 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 as soon as possible. So early... Uh, early years education, as I said, has got amazing returns and is a great equalizer because you basically provide the same opportunities to every child, regardless of their family background. You know, they've already done studies, I think this was done in Stanford, showing how already by six months you can tell the difference between a child who's been raised in a high social economic status household and one who has not. The child in a high SES household has much more understanding of concepts than the other child. So the sooner children are put in the same and exposed to the same level of education, the better it is for equality. That's interesting. And in terms of empowering families, can you empower families to be more entrepreneurial? I'm thinking of family businesses here. You know, a large number of businesses in the world, 90% or so, are family businesses. How does, how does family empowerment play into that? Again, I think it's a matter of removing constraints that stop the optimal allocation of talent. Uh, Many family firms have started because the founder was a great entrepreneur. But now having a father who's a great entrepreneur, it's unlikely to make you a great entrepreneur. So many offsprings are not great entrepreneurs. The same way that the offsprings of great athletes are not great athletes. There's not that much correlation. Um, So I think to help family firms, what you need is to remove the constraint that stop them from giving the firm to somebody else to manage. So the ownership and management can be separated. And if you are in a situation where, you know, contracts can be enforced easily, then you can hire a manager to run your firm if you as an offspring do not have the talent or the inclination to run the firm. And that will ensure that the family will, the family firm will flourish. At the very beginning, I talked about uh, a great economist who said, well, you could, you could tell global history, economic history, through family history and through family's place in history. If we look at modern capitalism through the eyes, through the lens of the, of the family, what do we see? Yes, I was mentioning before that it's very important that all decisions are interdependent within families. Both in the nuclear family, the decisions of husbands and wives depends on what each other are doing, but also intergenerationally. And so it is the study of that interdependence that is fundamental to understand how individuals take decisions. Do you think governments understand enough about how to empower families? Do you think they put enough focus on this area of policy? Well, one can always do better. So I, I think that to some extent these things are on the agenda in some countries more than other. Um, but I do think we can do a lot better. And if they're not more on the agenda, what do you think we're missing out on? 
I think we are missing out fundamentally on the understanding of uh, the importance of allocation or how much resources are wasted if we keep uh, women at home when they have a degree and skills to do other jobs outside the home and when we don't give every child an opportunity which is commensurate to their talent. Thank you very much, Oriana. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. If you're interested in finding out more, you can visit ebrd.com to read Oriana Bandera's paper, Family Policies, the Allocation of Talent, Productivity and Growth, as well as, of course, you can see our latest Life in Transition report. Meanwhile, share your thoughts with us at EBRD on Twitter and Facebook. Visit iTunes, SoundCloud and ebrd.com slash podcast to download the previous episodes. And remember that reviewing and rating Pocket Economics helps others to find it. Until next time, goodbye.